0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Zauk, and today we are talking about one of the two certainties in life, and no, it is not taxes. We're talking about death, not the phenomena itself most of us probably are avoiding thinking about, but the financing and legal process of death will writing, probates, funerals, all of it. You might be asking, what does this have to do with fintech? Well, one trillion pounds of assets will be transferred intergenerationally in the next decade in the UK alone. And wills are the primary method of transfer. Wills and probates are an extremely outdated industry with high costs, poor service, limited online presence, and usually in-person trips required to a probably pretty drab lawyer. Today I'm joined by Dan Garrett, the founder of Fairwill, which is the death tech. Yes, I coined that term. Company taking the UK by storm. Fairwill is an all-in-one online platform providing simple and streamlined services to handle wills, probates, cremations and more. Fairwill has quickly become the largest will writer in the UK and has experienced incredible growth. Last year, Farewell raised £20 million from an awesome list of investors, including Highland Europe, the CEOs of TransferWise and Headspace, and former Wharton Fintech podcast guests, Tim Levine of Augmentum Fintech and Michael Sigmore of Broadhaven. In this fun episode, Dan and I talk about his mission to change the way we handle death, Farewell's core products and why they're so successful, how his company has an MPS score of 85, Marketing of products nobody wants to think about, why we all need wills, and the absolutely stunning canary in a coal mine he saw at the start of COVID. I loved this company and its mission. Let's get started. Hi, Dan, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. We're excited to have you as a guest today. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I have to say, I've been uh, looking forward to this episode for a long time. I know I was chatting with the Fairwill team all the way back in March or April. I'm glad we could finally get this on the books.
1: Me too, absolutely.
0: So I think to begin, could you just take us through your background and just up until before you started Farewell?
1: Yeah, sure. It's a bit of an indirect route. I mean, obviously, we run quite a weird business being in the world of death. So the best answer I can come up with, everyone always expects me to you know, have been orphaned at the age of two or have some kind of really complicated relationship with death. The closest I can come to it is in... My parents' house where I grew up out the back of the garden was this crematorium. It's like beautiful crematorium, so I kind of garden backed out onto it. Maybe that's where it comes from. (laughs) I don't know. Have to spend some more time with a therapist to figure out why I do it. But so yeah, I grew up in London. I left school, went to university and did kind of maths and engineering, which I absolutely loved. It's kind of just, you know, ended up being very sort of theoretical problem solving rather than actually building things and making stuff. And that's really what I'd always wanted to do. So after my undergraduate degree, I moved more into Design. I worked for a bit for McLaren, automotive company. Designed a cup holder. My magnum opus. Um, did some other bits of kind of design work. And then there was this kind of amazing scholarship that basically brought people from science backgrounds into design at the Royal College of Art, which is like you know one of the top sort of art and design schools in the world. And there was this course there called Global Innovation Design that was split between the Royal College of Art and Imperial College London in the UK and then the Pratt Institute in New York kind of like very famous art school and and Keio University in Tokyo and basically it brought together the first time they ran it there's 12 people from sort of science design and business backgrounds and we were just put in a group together and taken to these amazing places for two years you know exposed to the most incredible sort of industrial designers like business thinkers Japanese captains of industry very tough life (laughs) and (laughs) then we sort of worked on projects and it could be self-started ones or opportunities that were given. When I started really getting into the death side of things, I basically spent about six months in a Japanese geriatric home, which is again, quite a weird thing to do. But we had this whole team of kind of design researchers, ethnographers, uh, sort of anthropologists, that kind of thing. And our remit was pretty broad. It was like, you know, come up with products or services that make 18, 19, 100 year old Japanese people's lives better in this context. And I really felt like at the end of that six months that we'd failed in our job as designers. All we focused on was the superficiality of aging. So as, you know, getting out of bed, up and down the stairs, the very kind of like physical side of it. And actually you're surrounded by a bunch of people who know that they're not going to be, you know, doing the hundred meters hurdles at the end of the month, but they do know that they're probably not long for this world and they don't have their friends or family around. And for a bunch of people who are trained in getting to the very heart of the problems that people are struggling with, all these amazing designers and researchers, I felt like we completely ignored topic of mortality. So when I came back to the UK, I spent a couple of months in the death industry and organized 15 funerals. I got qualification in will writing. I started filing probate applications, the legal and financial stuff you need to do after someone dies, and just thought, this is amazing. This is the biggest consumer industry that's been untouched by technology. And it isn't because it's macroeconomically impossible, and it isn't because it's technologically unfeasible. Because there is this kind of profound human aversion to talking about and dealing with death. And that, to me, is one enormous whopper of a kind of design and brand and product challenge. That's what got me sort of hooked on it to start with and why you know, everyone who's now in our team, I think, comes to work every day.
0: When did you kind of first break the news to your friends and family? And how do they feel that you said, you know, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to be working on, you know, death to probably the good part of my career?
1: <laughs> That's a really good question. I think everyone's still really, really confused by it. I'm really lucky to still have three grandparents <laughs> knocking around, each of whom are more confused than the last. That, that was really nice, actually. One of my grandma said to me the other day, she's like, I'd really like you to do my funeral. I was like, that's, that's actually just really, really touching. That's very uh, sweet. I think, weirdly, to my parents and my brother and stuff, it makes complete sense. And my friends, in the nicest possible way, kind of don't care. <laughs> Great.
0: So jumping in, so what exactly is Farewell and what problem is it solving?
1: Yeah, totally. So our mission as a company is to change the way the world deals with death. And currently we do four things very well. We started off in will writing, so the kind of online will writing. And within 18 months of launch, we were actually the biggest will writer in the UK. We now write about one in 10 wills. Then we branched out into probate, which is all the kind of financial legal stuff you need to do after someone dies that's notoriously awful. And then last December, we launched our kind of nationwide funerals business. we specialize in something called direct cremation, which is kind of a funeral without a ceremony. It's very low cost. And it's all about enabling a family to remember the person who they've lost in their own kind of personal way. We also recently started doing lasting powers of attorney, which is kind of similar to a will. It's about protecting your decisions if you lose capacity to make them yourself. So we have these four products. What unifies them is absolute excellence in customer experience. We have an NPS, a net promoter score across all of our products, about 85, which is totally off the charts. It's about one in every 5,000 businesses gets to that level. And that's not fudging the data at all. And also, we're not sending champagne to people in the post as our company. We're taking away your grandma or auntie or brother and returning them in a bag of ashes. So we're there at a very difficult time in people's lives. And we've always had this really kind of design and product focused lens of how we deliver those services. You know, We're the highest rated business for anything financial or legal on Trustpilot in the world. We've got over 7,000 reviews at 4.9 out of 5. So I always loved the way Amazon was run because there was this total uncompromising focus on customer experience and customer centricity. And weirdly for a market like ours, the death world, where it is so personal, it's so kind of emotionally charged. If you think about your kind of local funeral director or solicitor or whatever it is, they've weirdly kind of lost touch with what most people are actually after. So that's what we do. Awesome. So speaking
0: to somebody that has absolutely no idea about all of the things that go into death. We'll start with wills. How do wills work? What is the current process to get one?
1: Why do people need one? Yeah, totally. So, what happens when you die? If you die without a will, there's something which exists in the US as well called the laws of intestacy. And it's kind of a flow diagram that dictates where your assets go when you die. So, it might be, you know, if you're married and you have a partner, the majority goes to them. If you have kids, maybe a bit goes off to them realistically, for most people, it doesn't accurately represent what exactly they'd like to happen when they die. So a will is kind of a formal legal document that you would write that dictates what happens to your assets. And you can include some other wishes in there as well when you die. Um, The challenging thing is, as society's got more complicated, as families have, as the type of assets we own have got more complicated, the legals around it have become quite prohibitive for the average person to just sit down and have a crack at it. And there's a risk because this is such a kind of weighty document that you draft it wrong or you write it wrong or it can be interpreted differently. So it can make a lot of sense to go and get specialist help with it. The problem is for the average person, that specialist help, you've got so much training. If you're a solicitor, you spent that time qualifying right. that you can end up spending close to $1,000 to write a will, which for most people is just you've got these two conflicting priorities. Yes, I know this is important, but also I'm probably not going to die tomorrow. So loads of people just put it off. So what we wanted to do was make a really simple, accessible way for people to go online, take care of it in about 15 minutes, and we charge 90 pounds. So we kind of algorithmically generate the legal clauses based on a set of inputs from our customer. And then we have a kind of specialist team of will specialists who go through each will by hand, give feedback to the person who's written it, and then it's off to you to kind of sign it and also get it witnessed, which is where you have a couple of other people who sign the document as well.
0: That was very helpful. Thank you. And then, so what kind of information are they inputting? Is it different streams of income, their assets, liabilities, basic information about themselves?
1: I think this is a kind of amazing thing about it because most people might be listening thinking, how is this FinTech? It's like funerals and wills and whatever. <laughs> and, and we get the same reaction from investors as well. It's like, okay, this guy's got a nice little will writing business. The fact is, that in the UK alone, in the next ten years, a trillion pounds of assets will transfer intergenerationally. It's going from about 65 billion pounds in 2017 to 125 in 2027. So there's this kind of confluence of the housing boom and baby boom, and kind of like baby boom as well, that means that there's this sort of unprecedented intergenerational transfer. And although it can seem like a kind of weird backwater area of life, will writing, actually the wills and probate industry governs this enormous flow of money on an annual basis in every country. So to go back to your question of what type of information, there's really simple stuff like kind of who your family is, ages of people, names, addresses. And then a really important part of it, because a lot of people struggle with losing assets when they pass away. You know, you can imagine, think through the all the different accounts and places where you might have invested a little bit of money or where you've forgotten to close down a bank account or a pension or a life insurance policy, actually when someone dies, there's less of a paper trail. It's harder to track down assets and it can take years and cost a fortune to do it properly. So what we get our customers to do is just inventorize their own assets. And this isn't a huge headache. It's not going hunting around for paperwork and policy numbers. It's just saying, here's the stuff that right now I can remember that comprises my estate. So what you have at the end of it is a really comprehensive picture of that person who's important to them and their kind of financial life.
0: So are you just saying, I have a you know checking account, and do you put a rough amount, you're like between 10 grand, 50 grand, 1,000, 10,000,
1: 100,000 plus? We don't even take the amounts. We just ask people to put in the, the kind of detail of their provider.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so you literally just say, you know the business that you're working with, and then... Yep. After the person passes on, the beneficiary of the will would then be reaching out and saying, I know that this person has an account here. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So that's when you get into the kind of probate side of things. So let's say, sake of argument, sorry, if this is horribly offensive that you were to die, you made <laughs> oh, that's me the fine <laughs> of, your, of your will. We can talk about this later. I'd be able to take the death certificate. And a grant of probate, which basically says that I've been effectively approved as a person to administer your estate, I'd be able to go to Chase and say, I've got the death certificate, I've got the grant of probate. Here's, give me Ryan's money. The other side of it, which is a big focus for us, is that's kind of the table stakes. You write the will, you don't want to get it wrong, you don't want to miss out on any assets. The thing that we really focused on as a kind of product team right from the beginning is how can we make this more than just an exercise in legal compliance? How can we bring in the kind of emotional, meaningful side to writing a will that actually is like, I'm sitting down to say what happens when I die. You you might have a couple of young kids, you might have a partner, you might have kind of siblings or best friends or whatever. And what we really focused on in the design of our product was getting people to leave either kind of personal messages. So you you could choose to leave something really sentimental to you, an object to someone else or an amount of money to use for a particular purpose, or also to describe in detail their funeral wishes. And we saw this amazing engagement and interaction with our product that is wow. a huge driver of MPS. So we went from industry average to about 1% of people, including anything personal in a will is very much like clinical. We went to about 80% of our customers putting in the most amazing things I've ever <laughs> read.
0: <laughs> you have to share a
1: few now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the data is really sensitive. For some people, we've actually reached out to them and said, can we, you know, you know anonymously, oh, wow. anonymously use some of the things you've written? And there's a mixture of, you know, amazing love letters to, I don't know if you've ever seen the film, PS I Love You, great film for anyone who hasn't, but um, amazing kind of, you know, love letters to partners or to kids or to friends um, to really kind of like, to just really funny, bizarre stuff as well. I'm very surprised by a number of people who own guns, who give them out to other people as well in their, in their wills. So that's really going to be much more of a shock to someone in the UK than America. I was about to say, it um, doesn't surprise yeah. me at all. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. There's a lot of people who seem to have shotguns in the UK. And, There was one where someone left a thousand pounds to their colleagues and wrote this message that said, Buy a box of chocolates for everyone in the office apart from Carol in HR. (laughs) I was just like, What an amazing, what an amazing little memento. Oh, the pettiness. Yeah, the pettiness. I'm a big fan of kind of pettiness on death, (laughs) as well as this kind of hugely moving side to it. You know, there's people who are forgiving people in their wills that they haven't spoken, you know, estranged family members where they're like, I don't have the heart to you know, you apologize or forgive you now, but I want you to know I forgive you. It's, like, it's amazing, really genuinely incredible. And yeah, I wish I could read out more of it, but obviously it's quite sensitive.
0: Right. So before moving on, I do just want to cover the last two products that you mentioned. So we talked about, Will's talked a little bit about probates. So then you said you're working on now funerals, direct cremation. What was the kind of inspiration for working on that product and how does it work?
1: Yeah, totally. So mission you know, is to change the way the world deals with death. Can't really do that unless you're having a crack at uh, the funeral side of it as well. What we noticed when we started doing huge numbers of wills was, in the funeral wishes, the vast majority of people who describe the type of funerals they want, it's it's about it being simple, you know, having the right people around, it not being miserable, everyone celebrating their life, and that really doesn't reflect the actual funeral market that's on offer at the moment. So. I don't know if you would have covered it at Wharton. There's a kind of classic case study of the growth of the funerals industry, both in the US and the UK, since the kind of 50s. And it's this kind of notoriously either debt or P backed uh, sort of geographical like monopoly approach, yeah. similar with dentists. You know, you, you raise, you raise some up. debt, exactly. And then you go to, you know, whatever, Little Rock and you buy up all the funeral directors and then you push up the prices and because everyone is just so blindsided when they've lost someone really right. close, to them, you just—you know, I'm sure everyone can picture the local funeral director that's kind of in the town where they grew up or around the corner from where they live now. And no, it's probably not the most appealing brand proposition where when you walk past it, you're like, oh God, I just really can't wait until someone close to me dies so I can go in there and organize their funeral. But the fact is you go and you don't shop around and you end up paying $12,500 to organize some kind of random funeral that harks back to Victorian traditions. So no one has questioned that customer acquisition model. And what started to happen in the last kind of 10 years is that prices have been so aggressively pushed up that now customers, consumers are either just can't afford to pay it or it's given them cause to think twice about it. You've got to remember the average age of someone organizing a funeral is like they tend to be the children of the deceased, so they're kind of late 50s-ish. Someone who spent their entire career, or the majority of it, working online who has no particular affinity to this fairly old-fashioned way of doing things. So the market's really starting to transform at the moment. So we initially saw this kind of insider writing business and we thought there's got to be a huge opportunity to do things differently here. So we have a very differentiated cost base because we don't have uh, bricks and mortar stores, which is the 99% of customer acquisition in the funerals world. We either acquire customers by, you know, we re-engage, build a relationship with our will-writing customers, or for the most part, we acquire customers through partnerships that we have, financial services, charities, or uh, through online search, so paid search and organic search as well.
0: So off that point, I mean, death is clearly a touchy subject that nobody would like to talk about. How do you figure out your marketing plan at first, trying to get people into product that they'd never want to think about?
1: Yeah, totally. It's definitely been the very kind of bullseye of the challenge of growing a business in this kind of like to lead a category like this. And the way I sort paraphrase the brand approach to it is often we kind of try to build the first consumer brand in death. And the truth is we're actually up against an existing brand of death and dying. If you say to a friend or someone you know you have to go and do a will or probate or a funeral what pops into your head is this kind of gray drab uh, like dickensian picture of each one of those services and actually what it's on us to do is build something that is empowering and accessible and makes you feel like you can go and engage with one of those services and make a decision for yourself rather just be like oh god i'm going to go and do what the experts are telling me to or what tradition." Makes me feel like I should do. So we're kind of riding on the coattails of the fact that there's a generational shift in people buying these services, and overall people aren't attracted to or appealed to by the existing services on offer. So it all starts with what is our brand proposition, and it's something that is bright yellow, that is very easy to engage with, that is affordable to absolutely anyone. And then when it comes to the marketing side of things, we've a kind of big kind of data and performance marketing end of our organisation that probably to similar to a few other people that you've spoken to. And it's this kind of mixture that I'm sure you get in a lot of startups of balancing direct response to kind of brand awareness and longer term forms of kind of profile building for the company.
0: Yeah, I have to say the website is very nice, very friendly looking. I like the bright yellow, the nice soft font. It makes me forget for a second the product that I'm looking at. <laughs> Thanks. And then, so I saw you had a partnership with the rugby legend, Gareth Thomas. How did you conceive the idea and who reached out to who?
1: That was Jem, who's our head of brand and comms, And it was our first kind of foray into that sort of thing. And obviously, it was during the kind of first wave of coronavirus when we'd kind of pulled quite a lot of our advertising. we are doing quite a lot of stuff on TV and we just felt like it was a little bit insensitive. And Gareth Thomas had actually been really open discussing the challenges that loads of families face when it comes to dealing with death. The kind of pure bureaucratic challenges where you just feel completely at sea. You have no idea what to do. Most people haven't organized a funeral before or dealt with probate. And kind of Gareth and his family were going through that at the time. And he was being really vocal about it on Twitter. And, you know, he has this great reputation for being a kind of very straightforward campaigner on different issues. I'd spent so much time with Jem trying to think who's someone who we really feel represents our brand. And then mm-hmm. when she mentioned Gareth, I was like, he actually is just so on brand for us. He's totally straight talking and honest and kind of empowering and motivating to people around him. So we reached out to him and it turned out he was really interested in it. He was like, this is a campaign I want to I stick up for. Is kind of the rights of people who've been recently bereaved to be able to deal with things without a gigantic bill or loads of kind of jargony headache
0: So I have to assume COVID mentioned that for all of the worst reasons has been a catalyst for your business. There's a lot of sudden death, people considering their own mortality, inability to visit lawyers in person. Can we just start with kind of the months of maybe March and April, what
1: that looked like for Farewell when you kind of realized what was going on? Yeah, yeah, totally. That makes sense. So the first thing we started to notice in kind of early March or even late February was that we had a big surge in people with NHS (laughs) Email addresses, so kind of doctors and nurses making wills with us. Bit of a kind of canary in the mine. We were like, this looks like it might be bad if there are frontline medical workers who are 30 and 40 making their wills. And then, probably a couple of weeks later, we started seeing a really big surge just in kind of consumer demand for will writing. Then you kind of got into the first lockdowns. So, people, even though, you know, there was this kind of building demand for will writing, plus people weren't able to go to their normal providers whether it's kind of high street solicitor or something so we hired i think about 25 30 people in the space of a few weeks remotely to help us deal with that increase in demand we also while we were kind of negotiating this huge increase in demand decided to do free wills for the nhs because we had so many doctors and nursing wanted to do it and we were like the last thing people need while they're kind of sweating it out and working Mm. as hard as they can to put their life on the line is to have to pay for wills so that's awesome that really stretched our operations organization as well because we did, I think, 10,000-ish wills in a very short period of time through the NHS. So the first side of it was wills. Actually, at that same point, our probate business really materially went down because I think people were putting the the kind of admin on hold. If they'd lost someone recently rather than saying, I'm going to go ahead and sort out the probate, they tended to be more kind of putting on pause while the whole world went crazy. Similarly, on the funeral side of things, I think it was similar in the US. The number of people who could attend the funeral was limited. You couldn't do, you know, more fancy types of funerals. Mm. The death rate was materially increased by kind of up to fifty percent on particular days or weeks. So there were, you know, more people dying and more people looking for alternative or simpler forms of funerals. So obviously, our funeral capacity was quite stretched as well. And you know, it's lots of. Friends or other people I know work in startups where their kind of like PLs were destroyed. Um, we're obviously in this kind of weird counter cyclical business where coronavirus means that there's more demand for our services. It was a really difficult time for us as a company, though, because you're dealing with people who are at the best of times going through a bereavement. And we also had to scale our team really quickly as well. But we kept our customer experience metrics we actually improved our customer experience metrics and across the board we're the most affordable way to do a funeral or probate or will in the uk so it's weird at a time like coronavirus for the business to be accelerating but we did have to kind of stick to our guns and say we're proud of the services that we offer we're proud to be there at a time where people really need our help and our kind of whole team rallied around that and i think we in our own way offered a kind of really important public service at that time All right. Well, Dan, this has been
0: fantastic. I've learned a lot about death and the will writing process, and I think I'm probably going to look into my own will this weekend, of course, using Fairwill. I absolutely love your company's mission and this kind of unsexy, but such a necessary product with, and just an enormous tam. But before we wrap up, you've entered the final part of the episode, the rapid fire round of questions. Are you ready?
1: All right. So first job that you ever had? The first like proper job where I was like, going to the same place every day was as a bicycle career in London. How about football or rugby?
0: Football. Favorite football team? Arsenal. Oh, wow. Come on, you Gooners.
1: All right. How about Bitcoin? Are you invested? One month ago, I was with my parents and I've got this investor called Alex Dunstan from Saatchi Invest who's obsessed with Bitcoin and he texts me about six times a day to be like, buy it now, buy it now. <laughs> and I was like, Alex, it's been on my case for so long. I'm just gonna put all the meagre amount of money that I have into Bitcoin. And my dad was like, No, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Like it's just right. bad. And that was a month ago and it would have been up sixty percent by now. So yeah, <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't understand what the blockchain is, but Boy, I should have put that money in a month ago. Oh, man. I feel like
0: everybody has that friend that just texts them at least once a month or is posting <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. Um, all right. How about your professional hero?
1: Oh, my professional hero. What would Bezos do? I love Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Good answer. All right. How about personal hero? Probably won't go for big Jeff again. My personal <laughs> hero. My coach, Lucy Funnel who is an absolute legend and has changed my life and the life of other people in our team for the better. She's the most amazing person I've ever met. What do you mean by coach, like life coach,
0: career coach, executive coach?
1: They kind of all blur blur together. She's an everything coach for me.
0: Awesome. You mentioned before the episode that you had gone on a Greyhound tour of the US and you were younger to about 40 states. What was your favorite destination in the US? Oh, Such...
1: A difficult one to choose. I obviously loved like like the national parks, like Yosemite and stuff. I got attacked by a bear in Yosemite. I was on the front page of the Fresno Bee for rescuing someone from a river. That was fun. Oh, I also, wow. but oh, what's that place where there's like the cars in the Cadillac Ranch outside of um, Amarillo in Texas? I had the most bizarre yeah. time ever in Amarillo. These kind of got like adopted by these weird kids. They had a llama <laughs> farm. Very bizarre, very bizarre. I really like, I oh, really yeah. like the I really like the kind of like random states in the south.
0: Well, we might have to do a different episode on these travels. It sounds great. Yeah, it was. All right. So, funniest work from home moment so far.
1: I did have a call with someone from work where they were like, "Oh, I can't talk right now," and they were like, "I can't talk right now." Someone's just come to the door, and then I just saw them like walking in the park outside my house, just ignoring <laughs> the phone <for> me. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I don't know if they found that funny, but yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a great one. Oh my! Did you confront the person the next day? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they
1: were just like, oh, "I just couldn't want <laughs> to talk to you." <laughs> kind of fair enough. That's awesome. We've all done it.
0: Have you made a will?
1: Oh my god, yeah, extensive, <laughs> <It's> wonderful will.
0: <laughs> what will be in your will? Anything funny? Any pettiness? Any big letters of gratitude? Immense
1: amounts of pettiness, funny stuff. I definitely. They're like really serious love letters in there as well. Some of them which I should <laughs> update. Which you can do by the way, update the wills. And um, probably the pettiest thing I've done, my one friend, Alex Franklin, very, very stingy man. And I've just given him ever so slightly less than my other friends in my will, which I think <laughs> be very annoyed to him.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And then last question, what is one crucial piece of advice for future founders that you want to pass on?
1: Oh, just remember that it's unbelievably hard and try and not become a really depressing, boring business bastard along the way. Remember that you're still human.
0: Awesome. I have to say that's probably the most common answer that we get. Stuart saw from Current was just like, this is not a get rich quick scheme. It is a <laughs> ton of work. It sucks.
1: Yeah. It's a get stressed quick scheme.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end, Dan. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. This was an awesome episode with such an important topic. And I'm really excited to see where the future of will. Thanks so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review. And if you're looking for more FinTech content, subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton FinTech. There you will find articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I've linked our accounts in the episode description. I would also like to thank our editor, Rafael Ostria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Ryan Zauk.